Okay, welcome to our seventh OSISoft Pi Geeks podcast. This is part two of our OSISoft International series, and we have Steve Nye with us today, who runs our global tech support operations. Yeah, you're technically the, the what is the exact title? Global manager of tech support or global director? Or it changes SAR. weekly. <laughs> what are titles, really? Yeah. Um, currently, it's director of yeah. global support. Okay. Director of global support, yeah. right? And you recently are now on the. Is it the executive leadership team? Again, you know, what are names? But uh, yeah, we'll call it the executive leadership team. Awesome. Cool. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, and we're focused in this series and looking at OSI Soft on an international scale. Because it's very easy for us in the U.S., for instance, to get really focused on English and what's going on in the U.S. But really, for OSI Soft, like more than half our business is outside the U.S. Is that correct now? Yeah, uh, pretty close, yes. Yeah. It's big. I mean, it's it's it's. Definitely critical and significant to our enterprise. The biggest growth is going on abroad. Yeah. Definitely, right? In certain areas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what we want to focus on is how we spread product knowledge and um, and how we get our support services abroad when we start a new office. I, we pegged you as the guy to talk to for this. And sure. Hopefully we're right. Support's a big part of any new office. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a business element to it as well. Yeah. But usually when a new office starts, it's all about sales and, and service. Okay. So. Sales well, and service. Before, before yeah. we get into the meat of it, though, let's um, talk about you, Steve. Sounds great, Glenn. <laughs> so uh, when did you start at OSIsoft? A long, long time ago. Tell us. We want <laughs> numbers. We want details. Uh, 1996 was the year. Okay. Um, yes, that was a 19 in front of there. Uh, so I think it was right around Labor Day, 96. I came in as the third tech support engineer at OSI, so that was pretty exciting. Wow. So instantly I was increased the staff by 50%, kind of fun. Okay. Um, which, you know, looking back from today, we're at around 150 support engineers worldwide, yeah. so it's been a bit of a growth yeah. uh, support since then. But yeah, I did support for probably two to three years. Yeah, take um, us through the different roles you've gone through in yeah. the company to get where you are. So uh, I was, when I came in, I was like, ah, I want to be an engineer someday. You know, I want to write software. Um, but support is a good way to start, learn, learn the software, learn the business, that kind of thing. Um, so I was going down that track, and uh, about three years in, I'd started doing some development projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it turned out my boss at the time, Michelle Cuyer, uh wanted to move into a different role. So she took over the IT group uh, in like 98, 99. And so that left a vacancy. So they had already actually identified someone else um, from a different office to come in and, and take that role. But they're like, hey, you know, he's not going to be able to come for a few months, so would you mind, Steve, uh, just sort of filling in for a little bit um, while, while we wait for, for him to come over? As like the manager? As the director. manager for support. And at the time, there were probably like five or six people in support. Like it was a pretty small operation. And when you say support, you mean tech support? It was tech support, yeah. Tech so, support. Back in the day, uh, uh, support used to be aligned with engineering in the same department, and then field service was a separate organization under sales. Right, okay. Um, actually, when I started, support was also under sales, so I take that back. So both uh, service and support were under sales, um, but I was trying to move into engineering. So long story short, uh, I ended up really liking the job, and I felt that there were a lot of really interesting challenges that we had, and I had some ideas around things I wanted to do to try to improve things in the business of support. And uh, so I had a lot of fun, and turned out I didn't really want to leave after six months. Is, is Was leadership something that you really went to and really 
um, grabbed onto and had like native interest and skills in, or was that something that you trained a lot in? Uh, well, I've always I think gravitated towards um, helping grow people, yeah. so that's been one of the, my favorite things to do. Um, and I also really gravitate towards solving problems. Surprise, being in support. Mm -hmm. um, so I I like to see things running well. Um, and I think in a role like that, you have an ability to to make change and and achieve a result that you know is better than where you started. And you're also working with a lot of people who are in their a big growth period of their lives. Absolutely. It's an exciting time. You, you've got a lot of people just coming out of school mm -hmm. and they're really thirsting for new things to do, new things to learn. And so helping them sort of along that path, sort of channel their energies and figure out how to be successful is extremely rewarding. Awesome. I like that. You we know? haven't heard that before. Helping grow people as yeah. a management role. That's really Oh, good. that's huge. And everybody wins, it sounds like. You know, at the end of the day... I, you know, looking looking where we are today, and I think this will bleed into what we're going to talk about later. But you know, oftentimes I'll go to um, sessions where we have people visiting from around the world, people from Bahrain and Singapore and Brazil, and they're all hanging out. There's 20 people uh, from all over the place, and everyone gets along, and everyone's interacting, learning from each other, yeah. um, building energy and excitement, and to sort of sit back and watch that. Uh, it's one of the best feelings in the world to say we've got such a strong team and they're learning pie they, they're learning so fast and they're able to go out into their local countries then and be incredible representatives for OSI South. Let's talk about what a new hire has to go through to become full-fledged tech support in another country, another office. And maybe you can contrast this to how, how it's done in the U.S. Like, What is different about an international... So, New person. We try to make it not that different. Yeah. So we've done a lot of work in the last few years about into putting together a onboarding plan. So a pretty consistent plan that people go through. Um, in the U.S., uh, you know, they're here the whole time, so we have we have a lot more time to work with them. Mm -hmm. But we have managers around the world who have sort of bought into this program. So even if they're not here in the U.S. getting trained, our leads in the rest of the world are, are still continuing that program forward. Right. So, um, so though any new hire, no matter where they're from, will come to the U.S. for a little while. So it can range anywhere from one to three months. Yeah. So they get pretty good exposure to, you know, how we do support, and that, and then we expect that when they go back, they they have that solid understanding. And in San Leandro right now, I think we have two people from the London office who are originally from France. So we got a number from London. We have yep. a few from Singapore right now. We do. Somebody from the Czech Republic, I know of. And yeah, I taught the orientation class two weeks, and I yes. saw, it was all international people. That's yes. awesome. Actually, two yeah. Americans out of Pr 16. Pretty common, yes. Yeah, it was, it's, it's a huge shift. Yes. But yeah, they're brought here for sometimes, yeah, months. Absolutely. At a time. So it's we found that to be very effective. Now, it's not going to be 100% the same, and that's one of our challenges as a global org, is there are local differences. Mm -hmm. um, and there are cultural differences that people expect a little different things out of support than they do here. Yeah, what kind of, what kind, do you have an example of that? Like something that's culturally expected different elsewhere that we um, need to respond to? Well, so for example, in Japan, um, we worked with uh, Yokogawa as our distributor yeah. for many, many years. And customers are used to going to them to get support. So the people who work support in Japan tend to have to be very um, coding uh, knowledgeable. So they need, they need to understand how to, how to develop software. Wow. A lot more than 
someone in the U.S. So we have a vCampus team, right, that's more focused on... Is that because uh, the customers are using more VBA applications, or...? Um, they, we end up working with Yokogawa directly, because they're sort of the face of the customer. That's changing over time now. Oh, okay. So in, right. in Japan, we're now moving to, to be more directly involved with our customers. But they still expect... They have a lot of integration needs okay. in Japan. Okay. And actually, a lot of countries in, in Asia have that need. So the customers, so Korea, customers China, like just a higher level of integration, which is why right. they need. That's right. So they rely on OSI people to, to help provide them some of that knowledge more in those okay. areas. Um, so that's one example. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the, there's lots of little regional differences. I'd imagine, and you yeah. rely on like local managers <coughs> to do the, the judgment of new hires as far as will this person Absolutely. fit in this culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we need the boots on the ground leadership to really guide that local office. So so on that point, and rewinding a little bit, um, you train, so we hire a new tech support person in another country, bring them to California, where our headquarters is, train them, and then send them back. That's right. And over time, you're going to get more and more uh, trained people in that office. That's right. And they're going to be specialists that will develop. That's right. Have we, do we have any offices that have reached like a threshold point where they're sort of self-sustaining? They have enough experts there to train new hires there? Absolutely. I mean, uh, most of our offices have that, right? So okay. we wouldn't be successful if we just sent new hires back and there was no infrastructure to support them. So what do you do for, so, I know Korea, we have a fairly new so, office. So Korea's, Korea's probably the toughest one right now, yeah. right? There's a, a lot of new people. Yeah. Um, so what we've done is we're having some of our more experienced people spend some time in Korea. Okay. So we had uh, one of our TSEs from San Leandro. She's been over there for right. about two months. Um, before her was one of our, our guys from Australia, and now she's being uh, tag-teamed with another guy from Australia who's coming to Korea for right. six to eight weeks. Okay, so so they're really providing that, um, that in-person touch that they can help guide those, those new mm -hmm. team members. So, awesome. Yeah. They're great. They're great. And so in these, in these developing environments where things are more dynamic because the office is so young, yep. uh, I've heard stories about people <laughs> wearing lots of, lots of different hats. Not just <laughs> not just doing tech support, but also Absolutely. pre sales and in a way it's like a startup yeah, in some right. of those in some okay. of those locations. Yeah. Yeah, whenever I talk to somebody from Russia or from like one of the Asian offices, it sounds like they're just they're on call to do everything. And yeah. I'm amazed that, that they, 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 yeah. they respond effectively to all those things. They do. Yeah. They it's, do. And you know, but I think a lot of people like that uh -huh. environment too, yeah. right? It's you don't do the same thing every day. Um, and you you have to be uh, willing to be on your toes, and wherever the company needs help, that's what you do. So, but it's interesting because we still have a duty to provide great service in those locations. So we we supports very much of a planning type uh, organization. We we have to have enough people available for the phones to answer calls that come in. Mm -hmm. So there's some flexibility, but we also have to plan and make sure we have enough folks that are ready to help customers. All so it's definitely a balance too. all the time, right? right. Exactly. Yeah, I'd imagine like I when I so I worked support in the U.S. for a long time, and I got used to uh, my experiences of it, which is like you know about the number of calls that came in during day during my time zone. Yes, but I was never aware of, I was never thinking in the realm of like okay, around the world at different times, there are how many always calls. calls coming coming in. In. Are, is yes. that a, is that a tracking you do? Do you have yeah. some kind of spreadsheet where sure. you say like GMT? 18 hours, how many yep. calls about come in? Yeah, we look at the, the histogram of where the calls come in and what time. Wow, okay. Um, a lot of what we do is we also look where the sales are. 
because okay. support's going to follow the sales, right? So, so you use, you use so, sales as like the indicator of where it's going. It's a guide for, for where we need to be, right? And then we, we confirm that by looking at the call patterns. Right, okay. Right? And they're pretty consistent. You know, we sell about 50% in North America, 50-55%, and that's about the percent that we see in support. So, And that's true for Europe and Asia as well, for the most part. Gotcha. Um, slight variations, like if it's interesting in Europe... Uh, the percentage is actually a little bit lower than everywhere else. So if you look at the sales comparatively, fewer people call support in Europe. We think that's because they've focused pretty heavily on partners for many years. So they're, they will go to partners for help sometimes. Gotcha. Also, I think there's a lot of advanced Pi users in Europe, so they don't call quite as much as in other locations. Hmm. So. What's your vision for the future of this? Because we're, we're right now, we've been in this growth phase for maybe the last three or four years. Where we're just hiring lots and lots of... We expect that to continue. support people. Yeah. Or, or are we going to get to the point where um, instead of bringing everybody to San Leandro for training, initially we'd also, we'd send them to Frankfurt perhaps? Or is it Great always going to be... <laughs> is it always going to be bringing people to the headquarters here in California? Yeah, you know, and there's advantages to doing that. Um, at some point, it doesn't become very cost-effective to do that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to look at that. Um, certainly, we want... We want to empower the local areas to do as much onboarding and, and training as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also think it's really important to have everyone sort of have that same vision of OSI. Okay. Right? And having everyone come here, at least for a little while, accomplishes that for the most part. So. Okay, so should we go into fast answer questions? I would love then? to do fast answer Okay. Time. Okay. So the intention of this, Steve, is for us to ask a question and get a response in around 30 seconds. Yep. Okay. And we, we probably won't, like, brutally cut you off. But I we, will. We, we'll <laughs> okay, so l- let me go first because I wanted to kind of reword what we wrote down. Um, so, Steve, you're an actor, we hear. Yeah, well, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> well, I'm going with In my past, uh, I've been known to get on stage every now and again. Right, right. Um, Do you think your acting background has affected your managerial skills at all? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when I was in school, I was not the most confident guy. I mean, I I had definitely had some confidence, but uh, when you put me in front of a crowd, for instance, it's not my favorite place to be. So acting was always a little bit scary for me because it was sort of out out of my normal comfort zone. But I found that when you're acting, you're really outside of yourself. You're not focusing on, ah, Steve. Steve's on stage, right? It's more about what, what do I want to accomplish? What is this character trying to do? And in a similar way, for work, it's not about me, right? It's about what are we, what are we trying to convey to our team? What are we trying to convey to our customers? Okay. Um, so sort of stepping back and removing ego out of it uh, has really helped me be a lot more confident and okay. straightforward. Thinking, what do I need to be in this moment? Yeah, exactly. Kind of like when an actor goes out, like, what character do I need to be tonight? Just, exactly. Just do it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I like that. Um, all right. So, all right, Steve, this is a question we ask everybody that we interview, and it's also the question that people boggle the most, which blows my mind, but... I, I, I know where you're going, and I'm probably going to boggle it too, so... All right, so <laughs> let me paint a picture for you real quick. Stu and I are in an elevator, and... Mm-hmm. And, and you walk in. And we're like, hey, Glenn, um, do, you, do you know what the Pi system is? And I'm like, yeah, I've worked here for two years. Well, we just um, got it, but I've... N- but this guy's in a rush, too, so I have until the elevator gets to the top of, like, the third floor, which is in our slow elevator building, maybe a minute, maybe 30 seconds. And I'm clearly confused about what it, I've just heard about it. Why would I care? 
what is your elevator talk about pi? What the pi system <laughs> yeah. is? Someone who completely has never heard of it before. How do you tell them what you what the pi system is all about? Mm, I struggle. <laughs> so I I've, uh, I struggle with this one myself. I haven't developed a very good elevator speech yet. Um, when I kind of when I go through it, it sounds phony. So. I don't like it. You're so about that's, ten seconds in. Oh, crap. Well, we can give it to be like, oh, okay. Hey, uh, what's your name, Steve? Oh, do you work with the Python. What, yeah. what is that thing? So you know, I think part of making that successful is saying, well, Stuart, what do you, what do you do? Like, what do you do? You uh, do you collect data? Like, now, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like, it. Well, think about. Well, let's look at it this way. You know, think about um, making gasoline, right? Okay. So there's a process behind that. Right, so if you if you go to a big plant, and they're making gasoline, um, or even processing oil, there's there's a ton of steps in a process like that, right? And in order to run that successfully, you need to have data, right? You need to know how that process is working. Right. So what the Pi system does is really allows um, allows people. Well, first of all, we collect data all throughout the process, and so we take data into our Pi system, and then people across the business can use that data to make decisions about how the process, what the process is doing and how to make it more effective. So okay. it's a great way for people to collaborate um, on one system of data and really take action based on what the data is telling them. Um, Pi's really been effective in helping people see relationships between uh, actions or um, events that they never would have expected. And that helps them make decisions for their business um, to improve and make things more efficient. So, so if you want the marketing that. spiel, Pi is a real-time data and events system. Uh, <laughs> okay, my last question. Do you have any legendary customers that call in that you've heard about for years and they're just like, they're characters? Didn't we hire one last year? One of those? Well, Nate Anderson. Oh, yeah. Nate Anderson. <laughs> Nate Anderson was great. He uh, he knew Pi so well, and he would ask really hard questions. So you get a Nate Anderson call, you're like, oh no, not Nate. Not that we don't love talking to Nate, but he knows his stuff. But there are characters out there. Right. So uh, Mike Jackson, one of yeah. our favorite. Mike Jackson. I don't know if you've ever talked to him. I, I have talked uh, to him a few times. Yes. He uh, he's got some colorful turns of phrase. Oh, yeah. um, he doesn't beat around the bush when Pi's not working well, and he lets you know. So, but he's a great, great sport, and uh, it, it, he's really funny and fun to work with, and he loves Pi. So, yeah. and I'd imagine for our international customers, the idea that really Pi's support structure is huge for what the value is, and for people who are listening internationally to understand that we have a commitment to international support as well, not just American support. Right. It's going to be something that we're providing everywhere, and that's what we that's what we offer. Absolutely. Super. Awesome. I think we should wrap it up. That was really good. So thank you, Steve, for joining us on this uh, part two of our international series. And My pleasure. Us about Thanks for having me. Well, I'm Stuart Collins. And I'm Glenn Sharp. And we'll see you next time on the Pikes Podcast. Thank you for tuning in.